five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh for the WDMA. We're going to go international news today. Hang on to your hats. Sometimes I do news, you know, because it's just good background and there. And there's there's a really good direct mail article that I'm going to cover at the end. Not because it's new news, but because it's a really good compilation of how it kind of all fits together and can work together. And um, I wrote to Kylie to see she's the author uh, for Biz.com to see what you know what, what's her background. How did she how did she figure all this stuff out? Because it's really really well done. Uh, it's about a 15 minute read, so it's a long article. But before we get there, we've got a couple of things to cover. And um, you know, I was going to do a silly commercial, but I think I'm just going to go right with the news because you know how that is. There's the silly commercial that I'm not going to do today because we just got too much to cover. And, and the style consultant gets upset with me when I throw in an extra minute or two. So Tories pledge business and consumer-friendly GDPR, okay, and uh, replacement for GDPR. Okay, Michelle uh, Donilon says that they're going to replace GDPR. And Print Week says this is good news for the printing industry. Okay, and so she gave a speech on Monday and said that our plan will protect consumer privacy and keep their data safe whilst retaining our data adequacy so businesses can trade freely. And of course, you know, there's, there's principles in law like my freedom of expression ends at the end of your nose. In other words, I can punch the air all I want. Uh, it's my freedom to express myself in crazy ways. But if you're right there, I can't punch you you in the nose, right? So, you know, there are limits to everything. And it's really hard to get these limits adjusted properly. Um, and, you know, I think part of the fight is about, you know, is about the idea that we need data to personalize customer experience. But, of course, if you have, if you have to ask seven times about whether you are okay with us using your data – or, you know, other other hoops that you might have to jump through. Well, you know, that's going to ruin the customer experience. So, you know, it's a tough balance. It's hard to see in, in the regular e-commerce world, in my experience in 40 years, you know, I haven't seen abuses of data. I haven't seen abuses of data like this is not, you know, most of us are just collecting it up and hoping not to waste a, a, a dollar, two dollar mailing. You know, that's that's that was the motivation behind most of our modeling. We, you know, most modelers would say, well, I can cut the waste in your modeling. You know, but when I told Dick Cabela I could cut 20% of his mail with and only cut 5% of his sales, you know, and granted we could reinvest it and you know and and probably make more than make up the difference. But I was young and, and foolish, and I didn't understand. And he said, I don't want to cut 5% of my mailing. I want to grow. So don't tell me how to cut. Tell me how to grow. And uh, the answer is a, a blend of the two. You know, there's, there's, there's junk in the mailing that, you know, that people aren't buy, haven't bought from me in a long, long time and weren't really very high potential when they did. And you mailed them and mailed them and mailed them, and maybe you shouldn't have. You know, we just worked with, with America's oldest catalog, uh, continuously running catalog for a couple of years, and one thing we found was that their their digitally acquired 
uh, fourth quarter names were not worth mailing first quarter. Uh, we, 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 we found the mailable fourth quarter again, but not, you know, not through the year. It didn't make any sense. They were gift givers mostly, and they were Christmas gift givers or holiday season gift givers. So anyway, so this balance between consumer privacy and, and safe data and, uh, the great insights of customer experience. You know, most of the most of the things consumers want, pre pre data explosion, are the same. You know, they want to be able to order. You know, they want to have a, a choice of quality merchandise. You know, good value for their money and gets there. <laughs> Company they can trust to get it there. And those are the main three things that that people want. And Personalization, you know, yeah, maybe that's icing, but most of the time, or at least half the time, you get it wrong anyway. So even the effort at personalization can backfire. So anyway, but they're making big promises. This was one of the most interesting lines in the three articles that I'm going to talk about. Uh, and this is, this is um, again, Donalyn, what was her first name? Michelle. This is Michelle saying, she says, even though we have shortages of electricians and plumbers, GDPR ties them in knots with clunky bureaucracy. I would love to hear from somebody in the UK about how GDPR affects electricians and plumbers. It's really interesting. You know, I mean, I know that the privacy legislation and the use tax legislation or the removal by the Supreme Court, Justice Kennedy will never be forgiven in my book for that, uh, of something that was clear and, in, and enforceable and everybody knew and understood it, to change that to 12,000 sales taxing, sales taxing jurisdictions. Uh, companies continue to wrestle with that and really, really have not got a solution for it. And uh, thankfully, the bureaucracies haven't come after most of us yet, um, but it's impossible. It's impossible to satisfy it. Theoretically, any any taxing jurisdiction in, a, in the country can come and 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 audit your business. You know, we need protection from that. But anyway, it just shows you that governments can destroy businesses. And uh, so I'd like to know how they're wrecking the plumbers and and the electricians. Anyway, we will look to those countries who achieve data adequacy without having GDPR, like Israel, Japan, South Korea, Canada, and New Zealand. And some of the issue, some of the issue, you know, with CCPA in California, consumers can, can sue your company, even out-of-state companies, and uh, if you mail into California, you know. Uh, I remember probably in the 90s when New York changed its laws for list rental and and uh, made it sales taxable and made it very, very complicated to, to operate a list management company. And they just all moved out of New York. Um, so I don't know how that's I don't know how I don't know how companies are, are handling the potential liability of California's. Uh, lit what, what would be litigious? That's a good word. Litigious, happy citizenry. <laughs> okay, but the UK says they're going to look to these countries who they think have it figured out. And that's one of the benefits of not having a new world order and a one world government. <laughs> uh, 
you know, each co country can take different approaches. And obviously the societies are different. Their propensity to, to engage in legal shenanigans may be less. I understand the United States has more lawyers per capita than any other country in the world, probably because we have a, a system of law that allows anybody to sue and, you know, groundless or not, it, it ties you up. New Zealand, I know, is one of the is one of the most interesting that you know. You, I, I don't think you can sue unless you've been in the country for something like six months or something, and they won't get to it for another six months. So you have to stay in New Zealand for a year to even bring a suit. And uh, they're just you know they just have the philosophy that you know if you jump off a cliff and and get killed, your heirs or your relatives don't have the right to sue the. Uh, the, the the people who own the cliff or the helmet that didn't save your life or, or whatever else you know that's why New Zealand has a lot of bungee jumping and and and, and white water rafting and all kinds of fun stuff because you know you sign a thing that says it's my fault if I get killed <laughs> which it is it's always been and it's going to be even if you live in California but it does take the fun out of a lot of stuff you know so anyway. We better not get too far. So, so anyway, the print industry is fairly optimistic. We watch with interest as the Secretary of State has said that GDPR is not fit for purpose, and she repeated that phrase several times. And I'm sure it's true. You know, we had quite a few. We had many mailers who decided not to mail much in the UK, or especially not prospect anymore. Mail to their customers. I feel, uh, and this is from Phil Newton. Okay. And Phil says, I feel, who's chairman at PSE Offline Marketing, offline, that's probably printing, I feel this could be a great thing for the UK print and mailing industry, mostly because of the fear factor created by GDPR. There were so many scare stories when it, be, when it was being introduced, yeah. And one of the biggest mailers in the UK, I think the biggest mailer, deleted everybody that was older than a 12-month buyer. It stopped a lot of companies from using direct mail completely. And then the mailers got together and said, hey, we've been mailing for 40 years. There's no problem. You know, if a company, if a customer says they don't want to get it anymore, we tell them, okay, we won't. And it's all well managed. And the uh, the in in Grand Inquisitor General or whatever, it's a really cool title what they have there, to enforce it, said, yeah, that makes sense. So the list, in, you know, everybody had these. Terrible articles about how the list industry was going away, the mailing was going away. Everything. Actually, GDPR had very little to do with mail, but you know some people thought it did. Well, carefully targeted DM has always been a great way to recruit, train, and win back customers. It was one of the best ways to reach out and win back old customers because it wasn't specifically cited. Whereas if you had a customer that, you know, after two years, I think, uh, they didn't buy again. If you emailed them, that was a violation of GDPR. The GDPR specter, thats this is the most important part, the specter hanging over countries being removed can only be a positive thing for companies. You know, contingent liabilities are a serious thing, and uh, especially when, when it's all settling out. And I think California is doing great harm to the, to the country because they, they pass these laws and just like throw them out there and say, well, this looks good. This will protect people. Right. But at what cost? Anyway, so this is a less optimistic story of the same thing from Dan Meyer. And he's got lots of industry experts that basically say, um, 
you know, it's nice that that Michelle Donlin announced no longer will our businesses be shackled by lots of red tape. But basically everybody in here says that, uh, and it, it, you know, GDPR is a mess. James Roswell said IAB Europe tried to untangle some of that complexity for advertisers with its transparency and consent framework. They tried to give consumers a framework that where they told them what they were going to do with the data. But according to Belgian Data Protection Authority, it violated GDPR in the process. You know, partly because asking for consent can be a violation of unsolicited contact. Very, very difficult to sort out. Okay. So, anyway, I got to take one of these. <coughs> I had some great eggs this morning. So it's a mess, and basically all these people say it's not going to pass, and it's not going to get. They could have significantly larger fines in the new rules, because big tech just laughs at it. They say it's more, it's worth more to us to violate it than it is to pay the penalties. Um, <laughs> and and finally. Um, Though there was optimism, it was said they've been in office three years. They haven't done it yet. They're not, probably not going to do it. And then Europe gives final sign-off to rebooted e-commerce rules. And it wasn't clear what e-commerce rules to me. They were they were they they were changing. But the article has lots of cheering for the new content moderation and marketplace rules. But there's and they believe that this Digital Services Act could become the gold standard for other regulators in the world. I think the good news in this is that they're trying to regulate digital, the digital world at least a little bit. You know, the broadcasters, radio and TV have been regulated. The newspapers have been regulated to some extent. There are libel laws that, you, you know, if they just say something incorrect that, you know, there is some recourse for the people that have been wronged. Whereas in the United States, the digital companies hide behind, um, you know, this clause that says they can't be sued for any content on their site, which really was to protect them from posts, posts that, you know, where, where I would slander you as a, as a, a member of their site and they're not liable. And that, and that makes some sense. But when they start booting people off for what they said when it doesn't violate any other law, they just felt like booting them off, then they start looking like they're abusing their power and need to be somehow regulated. And I, and I, I think that's true. I think they should at least be treated as pub, publishers or, if not that, as utility companies. So anyway, um, defenders of the European fundamental rights had wanted the DSA to go even further. You know, so the, the the consumer advocates didn't think it did enough. The business people didn't thought it did too much. So you know, it's probably getting in getting at the at the issue. Um, the next few years will thus see a major shift in how the EU regulates digital service services and platform power with attention, certainly on paper, to both economic and democratic impacts of big tech. But just because they're aimed at big tech, you know, too many of these, too many of these rules 
you know, big tech can can afford the the penalties and the attorneys to fight this stuff. But your average association or, you know, like the WDMA, we have a little website. You know, are we violating something? Hard to know. I don't know. I know that we do have three cookies on there. I don't know how they got there. <laughs> I didn't put them there. That's a, that's the even funnier part. You know, you say, well, I don't want to I don't want to accept any cookies. I didn't either. <laughs> you know, I just used uh, Word WordPress and poof, out it came. Anyway, so it's a complex issue. Uh, I I sometimes I do articles just to sort of keep myself abreast. I did read all these articles, and I welcome your comments certainly. Um, you know, how do we solve this? Uh, big te- big tech has clearly uh, exercised control of their platforms with booting people off. And uh, are they a utility? Are they a publisher? You know, they, they claim they're not. They claim that they're just putting up stuff, people. You know, they're just a, a they're just a, a a space. But it seems like you know, if the telephone companies canceled your, you know, turned off your phone because you had mentioned, uh, you know, that you you didn't like President Obama or you didn't like President Trump. If they started doing that, you know, that seems to breach the public trust. <laughs> So it does seem to be there's some parallel there. Uh, and they do exercise some editorial control in, in who they boot off and what, and what they block. And probably they're doing much more than that uh, in shadow banning, banning, et cetera. So anyway, I welcome your comments. As I said, sometimes I, I read these to keep myself up to date. And uh, as I said last week or yesterday, give me a call. Let's talk about your marketing, marketing issues. No charge. 15 minutes. Bye-bye.